0: Hey, this is Kevin Smith and you're listening to Radio Brendo Man. The only radio that matters with the name Brendo Man in it. If you're not listening to it, just what in God's name are you listening to? I can give you some options, but that would defeat the purpose of the plug. Brendo Man.
1: Welcome to another episode of Radio Brendo Man. I'm Brendan Creasy and I'm here in my studio, the Radio Brendo Man studios. That's right, I got a studio. It might be my old bedroom in my apartment, but it counts, right? Um, This week we have a guest on the show, um, Noah Apodaca, which we'll get to in just a minute, but I just wanted to welcome everybody and uh, thank you for continuing to listen to this podcast even though i haven't been updating it regularly um i'm i can't promise anything but uh you know we got some guests um coming down the pipe and uh and trying to record more so i hope you enjoy it um be sure to check out radiobrendo.com for all the latest um that's also got our amazon links that's still going Um, If you want to buy something on Amazon, just go to RadioBrendo.com, click the Amazon banner, and uh, you'll be helping us out when you do that. Um, Also, check out DreamHost. Go to RadioBrendo.com, click the DreamHost link, and you will save $50 off your order of hosting. So you want to do that. That's uh, RadioBrendo.com for all that stuff. Um, my guest this week, uh, Noah Apodaca, Uncle Noah, is a DJ, electronic musician, and just an all-around interesting guy. And uh, I want to give a shout-out to producer Brian Apodaca, who you'll find out whether or not they're related, um, for cooking this up. So I hope you enjoy it, and uh, yeah, this is Noah Apodaca and me. All right, so I'm here with Noah, Uncle Noah. That's me, Apodaca. No, any relation to Brian Apodaca, our producer?
0: Your super producer. You know, um, the thing is, there's only one Apodaca family line out here to the west coast of the U.S., so we're related somehow. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what the direct relation is, so I, I call him my cousin <laughs> because you know he's I kind of have to. related. Right, he's he's in there somewhere. <laughs>
1: That's cool. And um, where does the Uncle Noah come from?
0: So this is actually really interesting. When I was uh, younger, folks used to call me Mr. Noah. I don't know why, but they just did. It was always amusing. Um, and when I was a freshman at UC Davis, uh, just a couple of weeks into school, I got a phone call saying that my, uh, my stepsister had had a daughter. And, uh, one of the other, uh, people who lived in the dorm was walking down the stairs right outside of my door. And, uh, I, I said, Hey, Heather, my sister just had a kid. And she said, well, then you're uncle Noah. And, uh, from that day on, so September, 1992, I became uncle Noah and, uh, I had a radio show at UC Davis and it just, it worked well for, uh, 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 kind of, you know, uh, a stage name, you know, as well as a general name. So yeah, pretty much everybody knows me as uncle Noah.
1: Nice, so that's like your DJ stage name exactly music yeah for everything
0: DJ music production general nickname you know all over the place
1: and yeah. you started off um, so you you you're you're super into techno electronic music and you actually produce electronic music
0: absolutely yeah yeah I both DJ and produce. Uh, I've, uh, produced electronic music really since back in the eighties. Uh, wow. um, my father, well, I was always into, um, like rhythm and blues and soul and funk and all that kind of music. Uh, and I remember at one point in the early 1980s, my dad brought me two records. Uh, he brought me the, uh, the art of noise, uh, invisible silence, which is just an incredible record. And he brought me, uh, craftwork, uh, computer world. Oh, there you go and those two records just blew my mind away you know i i'd heard you know pierre henry and you know some other kind of experimental electronic music uh before then but to actually hear it uh in a funky poppy kind of a way just uh drove me insane and my dad uh was into he's a a very talented musician he was into synthesizers as well so uh Um, got to learn, you know, as he purchased a few cents, I got to learn how to make sounds and, uh, started making my own tunes with them. And, uh, then, uh, that just continued on for the rest of my life, really. And then you became a DJ as well? Yeah. So, you know, I started off, one of my dreams was always to have a radio show when I was in college. I thought college radio was the coolest thing ever. Yeah, me too. (laughs) So I, uh, I had a, a radio show in college. So I got to DJ like that. Um, but, I was playing uh, like soul and rare groove and stuff like that. What, what hip hop heads would call a digger show. Yeah. You know, I was playing the songs that the samples in the music that you hear came from. Um, and uh, then one day, and this, this is a, is a funny story, but it's true. Um, I was house sitting for a friend of mine at, in Davis over spring break and being a broke college student, I didn't have much of anything or anything to do for entertainment, but on his computer, he had the video game X-Wing, which is, if you've never played, I don't know if you ever played X-Wing. It's a dope game. God, oh, X-Wing is incredible. So <laughs> I played X-Wing hardcore for uh, a few days, and I loved everything about the game except the music. Yeah. And I said, you know what? This really needs, like, some bang-in, like, techno music. Mind you, this is, like, 1993, right? When uh, So I'm, I'm like, I just want some of that, like, bang-in Euro rave music to drive me through the stars, so I went down to the local record shop, and I picked up a CD, uh, The Best of Techno, Volume 1, by Profile Records. And uh, so I listened to that while I was playing X-Wing, and I just, I loved it. I loved the tunes. It was great. And so I said, okay, you know, this week, my radio shows were three hours long, and they were on early Saturday morning. It was like 3 to 6 a.m. on Saturday morning. And uh, I said, okay, this week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to dig through the station's library, and I'm going to pull out nothing but techno music. I'm going to pull out three hours of techno music. And by the end of this show, I'll either realize that, you know, I kind of sated my desire to hear techno music or I'm going to realize that I really like it. And as it turns out, I really liked it. And, uh, so then I, I wound up meeting other, uh, electronic music DJs that were there in the Davis and kind of Western Sacramento area. And I'd have these guys come on to my show. We would play parties together and stuff like that. And, uh, what I wound up discovering was there's all these subgenres of electronic music. So you got, you know, trance and drum and bass and house and uh, there's one particular subgenre that's called breakbeat. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in house music, you know, it's got that, that, uh, what they call the four on the floor drum beat. It's just you know, boom, 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 you know, with the music going over it and that, it, it grates on the audience a little bit. So at some point in house music productions, as the song's going on, all of a sudden that boom, boom, boom beat will drop out and they'll play like one measure of a drum break from a, uh, a funk record or a soul record or something and then go back to the boom, boom, boom. So that becomes known as the break mm-hmm. in, in the track. Well, then artists then Took those break beats and said, well, why not make entire tunes with the break beat as the drum beat instead of just the boom, boom, boom. So, uh, I got into that subgenre and that's, that's mostly what, uh, there are then splinter genres from there. There's, you know, big beat, break beat, uh, other kind of things like that. But, um, so I primarily became a breakbeat DJ and what I produce is mostly breakbeat but then also some uh drum and bass jungle kind of stuff. Uh, I really like the syncopated beats and the funky kind of bass lines and whatnot.
1: And people can listen to your music?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I've actually got uh an album up on uh well I've got I've got a track on an album uh that's on CD Baby right now. If you go to CD Baby You can search for scr.comp.002. Uh, that's a compilation album that I produced with artists from the SoCal Raves internet list.
1: SoCal Raves. Yeah.
0: And so SoCal Raves was, uh, back in the old days, you know, of just black and white internet. It was a discussion board, uh, that a bunch of people down here, uh, talked on. There's uh, a number of producers, professionals as well as bedroom producers on the, the list. And so folks decided at one point to make a compilation album and it was, it was successful in the underground. People really liked it a lot. So then uh, a few years later, I, I followed up and organized a second one. Um, and I was able to get that one into internet distribution and that's out there as well. So fun stuff.
1: So your music, you you have a name under. You have a name you do your music under, but there were some
0: issues with that. So this You're is coming. yeah, this is a good one. Uh, so I started producing when I uh, started producing electronic music. Uh, I I separated the DJ project and the music production project, and the DJ production was DJ Uncle Noah. Yeah. And then the music production was GTA. That was the the name of the project, and I started putting music out under that in the early '90s. Um, and, or early to mid nineties, I'd say. Um, but being that, you know, this is all on the underground and don't have a lot of money for lawyers and that kind of thing. Um, produced a, a few, few, few tracks, uh, some vinyl. I've been on a uh, number of digital releases under that name. Uh, but then a couple of years ago, uh, Warner brothers picked up a couple of, uh, uh, house music producers from uh, here in the Southern California area. Uh, and, uh, they've got the name GTA and Warner Brothers went in with their lawyers and filed all the paperwork and all this kind of thing to officially make them GTA which is really awful because uh like I've got some tunes on iTunes yeah. and you can search and find my tunes but uh those other two guys their picture pops up on it oh, <laughs> and it's just it's a mess so anyway um being that you know they've got Warner Brothers and all of the you know that kind of money and power behind them uh, I've decided that with my future productions here, I'm just moving the music production stuff, uh, under the DJ Uncle Noah moniker. Cause I figure that's easy to, uh, to identify. And, uh, if somebody from a record, big record label winds up signing an act named DJ Uncle Noah, I'll be really surprised. <laughs> <laughs> so look for a new DJ Uncle Noah album. Uh, coming out hopefully before the end of the year here it might be right around the beginning of next year but uh i'm working on a new uh nine track album to to have out for folks awesome yeah
1: so um how'd you get into the rave scene like how does yeah. that
0: happen so you know it's really interesting because uh I I was never real into kind of the first wave of the rave scene that hit Southern California. I was aware of it. I mean back in the days when they were having parties like over at Knott's Berry Farm at that Club K oh, yeah. and stuff, they were doing all kinds of stuff. There was a lot of rave activity back there around ninety to ninety two. Um but it just wasn't all that appealing to me at the time. Uh And I wasn't all that into the music. Um, but then after I was at school up at UC Davis, uh really got into the music, got in with some of the DJs, um, actually the first rave that I went to was a rave that I was DJing at. <laughs> which is interesting. So um, you know, I was I wasn't like a uh uh party goer that got converted into a music lover. You got
1: in as a DJ. <laughs>
0: right, I got in as a DJ and the music brought me into the scene, you know, which was fun.
1: So what were some of the raves that you DJed like or oh, it was
0: a lot of a lot of underground kind of stuff, uh, a number of things that I don't even know if they have names to tell you the truth, but uh I never got into uh kind of the more massive scene, but some of the there were there were a number of uh, smaller parties that would take place at, um, uh, uh, like, uh, theater spaces in, uh, in Hollywood would rent out, you know, the, the gotcha. place for a night or, um, you know, uh, hopefully nobody from the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Office is listening, but you know, uh, illegal parties out in the desert and stuff like that, you know, gotcha. <laughs> uh, but it would be, uh, it would be interesting. And it was a lot of fun because the, um, being in it from the music end of the scene, I think, gave me a little bit of a different perspective on it because the folks that I was hanging with, the crew, you know, that I was rolling with more or less, um, were all other creatives. You know, there were folks that were DJs and producers, um, folks that did visuals, uh, you know, and, uh, projection, you know, uh, kind of things for the parties, lighting those kind of things. So, um, you know, they, you would, there was a lot, there's always been a lot of pushback, you know, on any kind of creative scene. There's always pushback about, well, these are just, you know, losers looking to get lit and, you know, not, uh, deal with society or whatnot. Yeah. But, um, the folks that I was working with were like, no, we're completely sober. You know, if you're trying to make this kind of music or run this kind of equipment while you were altered, you would not be successful. And, uh, you know, what we're trying to do is, uh, contribute something artistically you know we're we're interested in the art we're not just trying to be you know somehow dangerously escapist which um uh very oddly you know put us on uh, a lot of us on the the same side of the argument with folks who are saying well these events need to be safer or they need to be at better locations or you know these yeah. kind of things um uh, but these, a lot of those folks were, were trying to say that as a way of closing down the events, yeah. where a lot of us were trying to say, oh no, you know, if we could have a really nice permitted venue with, you know, a good sound system and solid electricity, we can present something um, incredible to you, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so it's, it, it was interesting. So it's kind of the, um, the second wave of, uh, of the SoCal rave scene that, that I was a part of in the underground there and, um, it was, it was thrilling. You know, it, it was the days before, uh, Serato and Tractor, you know, and any kind of digital based, uh, DJing, everything was vinyl, you know, and, uh, every now and again, you had acts that would come out and bring out their equipment and play live, you know, folks like, uh, Skylab 2000, Dennis Barton, a champion of that. Um, but other folks would come out as well. Uh, I remember seeing 2012 play and, uh, of course, Simply Jeff, uh, saw him come out, saw Uber Zone play live. A uh, number of folks that would take big risks in bringing out their equipment because you couldn't, there wasn't, uh, uh, laptops with soft synths in yeah. them and stuff. You know, if you wanted that particular noise, you had to bring that particular synthesizer, you know, and, and that risk to getting it knocked down or, you know, full of sand or who knows what, you know. And, uh, so it was, it was an interesting time and it was a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of people really dedicated to it and I, I, I feel very special to have been a part of it.
1: Do you still DJ?
0: I do. I do. Uh, I wound up working as a host, uh, co-host, on a show called Riders of the Plastic Groove. Okay. That's on KUCI. That's uh, 88.9 FM in Irvine, or uh, KUCI.org. Um, and this is a show that's on Friday nights. It's the longest running electronic music showcase show I know in Southern California. It might be in the nation. Um, and it's still on the air right now. Um, but I wound up being one of the co-hosts of that show for a while. And it would, uh, the show features, um, you know, DJs who are playing at events that particular weekend or whatnot. They would come in and do a set on the show and talk about where they're going or producers talking about what's new. Uh, so even though I've stopped being one of the co-hosts of that show, I still get called in to do, uh, fill-in spots, uh, on KUCI from time to time and uh, i still get booked to dj uh private parties here and there uh as well so that's that's fun you know it's fun to go out with the guys and do uh do it again but nowadays i'm doing a little something different i actually uh went out with this a couple of times uh, just about a month ago i've uh i have kind of made a hybrid out of the production and the dj performance okay and uh taken uh What 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 we uh, kind of as producers call stems, but what's also known as samples. So little bits of music. So a couple of measures of a bass line, a couple of measures of a lead, uh, a couple of measures of drums, this kind of thing. And I've made a big collection of these in the computer in a program called Ableton Live. And using a uh, controller, a physical controller, I can then trigger those samples to play. And so doing that, you know, if I've got... You know, uh, a synth lead, a bass line, some drums, and some sound effects, all running at the same time. That's going to sound like uh, a track to you. You know, it's going to so sound like it's almost like a,
1: a performance, as well as being. So you're doing
0: both. Exactly, exactly. So it's like I'm micro DJing. You know, I'm selecting instead of songs to put together. I'm selecting, oh, this lead, this drum, this whatever, and then putting those together to kind of almost produce on the fly. Uh, and, uh, uh, perform that out for the, for the crowd. And, um, I, I got to do that at a small, uh, nightclub a couple of, about a month ago and uh, for the first time. And it, it worked very well. The crowd dug it. So, so that's kind of what I'm trying to take around on the, uh, on the DJ project, project now. It's kind of a, a hybrid in there.
1: So as, um, as technology has changed in both recording and producing, and then also DJing, yeah. are you? Do you stick to the old stuff, or have you evolved, or are you a purist? You-
0: <laughs> so, yeah, that's a good question because there's a lot of people who've got a lot of opinions in there. You know, yeah. Uh, to me, media is media. So whatever you can capture, what you need on and play it back on is completely viable. Um, the computer, the laptop, and Ableton Live programs like that have made it very easy to pull everything in digitally and be able to manipulate it and bring it back like that. But I've still got a huge collection of vinyl. I, I love spinning records on vinyl. I think it's really fun. And, um, you know, I've, uh, it's easy to bring around the laptop to do a gig on um of course the production that i'm doing is all digital production is all within the uh the in the computers but uh you know i i like i like the feel of vinyl <laughs> i can't yeah. can't lie there's something really special about feeling that under your fingers and uh you know knowing that the music is encased in that disc you know it's uh it's something kind of magical
1: and then as a music producer are you using actual synths or are you Doing it all, or you do a mix of stuff?
0: Yeah, yeah, I do a little bit of everything. So I've got a, I've got a fairly good collection of synthesizers, uh, you know, a couple of sequential circuit synths, a couple of Roland's, uh, Casio CZ 101, you know, and uh, a bunch of little You know, kind of what you would almost think of now as toy synths, you know, that came out in the eighties, but they've got unique sounds on them. Yeah. Uh, so I use all that as well as using the software based synths and, uh, samples and stuff that I'm able to use within the, uh, the software. So a little bit of everything, you know, comes together to make it work.
1: All right. And then you talk about, um, vinyl. Um, what, what got you into vinyl? And then what are some of your favorite? like vinyl memories?
0: Definitely, yeah. Um, You know, I I loved vinyl as a kid. You know, that was the main playback medium. It was, you know, growing up in the 70s, it was, you know, either vinyl or it was 8-track tapes, mostly, you know. And uh, 8-track never had the fidelity that vinyl did. And it was, I remember as a kid putting records on, you know, and just being fascinated by the fact that all of this sound was coming off of, this little tiny needle wiggling back and forth on that disc, you know, and, um, and, uh, yeah, other people have said this, but it's very true. As a little kid, you sit there and you look at the record and it was always, you know what, put the record on, but don't touch it. You know, just put it on, don't touch it, let it play through. Uh, you're going to mess it up. You're going to scratch it, you know, something like this, just let it be. And then all of a sudden, you know, somewhere there in the, the later seventies, you wind up hearing about, you know, folks like Cool Herc and Africa Bambata and Grandmaster Flash and, you know, all of a sudden they're, they're touching their records, you know, and they're moving them back and forth and making different sounds with them. And, you know, this was fascinating and it's all of a sudden something, you know, they're doing what you're not supposed to do with vinyl, you know, but it's, uh, it's very cool and there's something new to it. So by the time you get into, uh you know, the the birth of hip hop, you know, in in the late nineteen seventies there, um folks like Grandmaster Flash wind up being a real hero because of what they're doing with vinyl, uh as well as what they're doing with the equipment in general. Um a lot of people don't realize, you know, when you think about DJing in its most basic form, you've got two turntables and a mixer, right, in yeah. between it. And the mixer's got a thing that the, you call the crossfader. So you can move it to one side to hear the record, one record that's playing. You can move it to the other side, hear the other record that's playing. You put it in the middle and hear both playing at the same time. Um But then the DJ's also got a headphone on, right? And that headphone is hooked up to what they call a cue. And cue, cueing was common in the radio industry uh where one record a record is playing over the air you know so the audience is hearing that playing but then in the studio you could flip to another set of speakers and be able to bring up another record and get it ready to be played and without the audience hearing that happening and then that way when the record that's being broadcast gets played now you could hit that next record to play and it would go out um but in terms of like home djing you know uh, there wasn't a method for cueing records because mixers just had so many inputs and so many outputs and that was that. Yeah. Um, but very interestingly, and I think a lot of people don't know this, but Grandmaster Flash, uh, New York DJ, uh, really grandfather of hip hop, um, he uh, uh, went down to Radio Shack and bought a, um, uh, a two pole single throw switch. <laughs> and he cut the wires on his turntables and rigged them up to the switch and ran one output out to uh his amplifier and one output to his headphones and made himself a cue switch. So he could flip it and be able to listen to one record while another record was playing out over the speakers and flip the switch and be able to listen to this record while this record was playing out in the speakers. And that single nerdy invention... <laughs> changed the face of uh, djing entertainment forever i mean nowadays you you can't buy a dj mixer that doesn't have a q channel on it you know uh even most uh production mixers have some kind of a q channel function in them um uh the ones that are not even designed necessarily for djing will have that function in it because it's useful to be able to you know, do talkbacks or do other kinds of things. There's a lot of things you can do with a Q channel. Um but it all gets back down to, uh, uh, Grandmaster Flash nerding out in his kitchen, you know, wishing that he could hear one record while another record was playing. And, uh, it, it you know, that kind of innovation comes from those vinyl days, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so I think that my, my fascination with DJing as a vinyl enterprise, you know, goes, goes back into all of that and just, uh, uh love loving the, the tactileness of it too, you know. Um seeing something spinning around at thirty three and a third revolutions per minute is uh it's got a hypnotic quality that I think seduces a lot of folks and uh it's part of what keeps us DJs uh, in love with the vinyl.
1: <laughs> so do you still I mean, are you still collecting vinyl for music purposes? Like mm-hmm. are you on the regular?
0: Oh, I definitely do. You know, uh, not as much as back in the heyday, uh, cause there's simply not as much produced on vinyl, yeah. uh, these days though. Vinyl never dies. And this is the interesting thing. I mean, I've in my time as a DJ have seen at least three different waves of, you know, folks saying, okay, that's it. Vinyl's dead. It's over. And then, nope, it's not, it's back stronger than ever. And, uh, I, vinyl will never die. Um, the production process is labor intensive and it's expensive. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, having produced
1: a record. Yeah. It is, it's expensive. Yeah.
0: So, you know, it, when, when we live in an era where you could produce something at home digitally and upload it to one of, you know, a million distribution sites yeah. at very low cost, uh, versus, you know, paying Uh, 500 to a thousand dollars to do a run of vinyls. You know, most bedroom producers are going to turn to just producing digitally. Um, but there are a number of folks that still produce vinyls and, uh, uh, I definitely, I definitely still collect vinyl. I definitely still, uh, am looking to flesh out my collections of certain labels, uh, from, uh, you know, the nineties era of the rave scene and things like that. And I still play the old records that I've got. They're a lot of fun.
1: So, um, what are some of your favorite record
0: stores? <laughs> so my favorite record store, unfortunately, isn't around anymore. Oh, no. uh, and that was uh, DJ culture over in, uh, uh, Huntington beach. Uh, and that was uh, DJ simply Jeff's uh, shop. Uh, ran that with, uh, uh Brian Mazzota and some other folks. That was a really fun shop. I liked it a lot. Uh, but you know, just, uh, an effect of the era, but, um, and, uh, the, the store that you can't deny though, of course, in here in the Southern California area is Amoeba. Oh
2: you yeah. Know?
0: Being able to go to Amoeba and just, you know, I could spend a day and a half in that shop and, you know, they could just leave me in there at night, lock the doors and turn off the lights. I'll be fine until they open the <laughs> next day, you know, but, uh, I love digging through there. Um, you know, of course I, I like it when, uh, in, in my, neck of the woods where I live, uh, they regulate when they can have, um, yard sales and stuff. So it's like a quarterly thing. So oh, when it gets thing. to be garage sale day, uh, I'll often get up early in the morning and head out and, you know, I'll hit different people's houses and say, okay, you got any, uh, got any vinyl records? You got any comic books, you know? <laughs> and no, if so, I'll name. just buy whatever you got, you know? <laughs> and I'll sort through it later, you know? But, uh, so, you know, the old, old garage sale and, and thrift storing and, and stuff like that is still a, a great way to find vinyl too.
1: So how long have you been
0: into comic books? Oh, I've been into comic books. I've been into comic books as long as I've been into music. <laughs> <So> <laughs> Which those is kind of blend together. Totally. It's kind of the the other side of my uh my geeky fun, you know, and uh I've just uh I've always enjoyed when I was uh younger I was very much into a Superman, really liked Superman, really liked Spider Man a lot. Um going into the eighties, you know, into the Chris Claremont era of X-Men and stuff uh really got into X-Men like that a lot and uh nowadays uh still read Spider-Man, still read Batman. Uh, of course, you know, when Dark Knight came out and all of that, the, you know, that changed comics forever back there in the the mid to late 80s. Yeah. And uh so, you know, read a lot of Batman, still do. Uh we collect a lot of comics, I love them.
1: <laughs> nice. Um and so i wanted to also ask you you said you'd gone to detroit yeah. to to look you were there for a work trip but you that's went true and looked for records
0: absolutely yeah yeah in the summer of that's like going to the source it really is i mean because you know kevin saunderson Juan atkins Derek may that's the belmont trio they came out of detroit that's where american techno music starts um and uh Summer '95, my mother had a, a job uh, that had her out in Detroit, and she said, "Well, you know, well you're on break from school. Why don't you come out here?" And uh, I wound up working as an apprentice electrician uh, for a uh, um, an IBEW crew uh, that worked at Cobo Hall. Wow. Uh, so I was right there along the the river, and uh, it was uh, it was an amazing thing. It's uh, Detroit is a uh, you know I haven't been there since then, but while i was there i can say my impression of it is that it is a shockingly challenging environment uh on a number of levels uh the um and it made me understand a lot i think kind of on a visceral level a lot about those that early techno music that came out um and i really believe that the rise of that early techno music uh is a direct result of Reaganomics and the things that that went down in Detroit uh as the auto industry crumbled and this kind of thing um you saw folks that were hopeful on the inside you know that had drive that had passion um but that had uh things fall literally falling apart to nothing around them
2: yeah
0: and uh the the minimalism that is in that early techno music, I think reflects that because it's like, here's just, you know, let's strip it down to the bone. Here is what it takes to keep it going. You know, you need, you know, these kind of blips, these kind of boops, you know, and here's, here's how it all comes together. And, uh, I saw an interview once with Derek May where he said that techno is the modern black man soul music. And that that quote has always stuck with me because when you think of modern electronic music, you think of EDM, you think of you know the big festivals in Europe and all of this. You you wouldn't look at that and say, yeah, that is African American music. You know, <laughs> you wouldn't look at that. That's an African American music scene right there.
1: Um, but, looking at Electric Daisy Carnival with right, those kids and
0: right, right. You don't think there. of it that way, you know. But I think that. And it's my interpretation, but I think that I understand what Derek May was saying there is that he was saying, you know, much in the same way that this techno music reflected the stripped down hopefulness of Detroit, that it also represented the stripped down hopefulness of the African-American community in general at that point in time, you know, and that, uh, and this is, this is what is inside. This is what is, is keeping us going. Again, this is, here is the core of what it's taking to be in this modern world. And, uh, you know, it's funny because in much the same way that jazz, right, starts as an African American music form and then flowers and, you know, just bursts across every race, culture, you know, economic status and diversifies and goes nuts. Uh, American techno music has done the same thing. Uh, it starts as this nucleus there with the Belmont trio and then just explodes across America. Um, and, uh, you know, becomes something that is very different from, you know, what the electronic music from Europe was, uh, at the time and that kind of thing. And I, I see musically speaking a lot of parallels between kind of the growth, the growth of techno music and the growth of jazz. Um, but anyway, to get back to, um, Detroit. So yeah, while I was there, uh, I went to, um, uh, Blake Baxter's Save the Vinyl, went and shopped at record time in Roseville, uh, went and, uh, you know, popped around, saw a couple of different shows and stuff. Uh, and it was, it was very interesting. It was, uh, it made me feel like I, I was able to ground myself, you know, in, I, I wasn't kind of an outsider looking at Techno music anymore. You know, I was in the place where it came from mm-hmm. and I was able to soak in a bit of the, uh, the environment, you know, and feel like, okay, now I feel like there's some authenticity in my perspective almost, you know, uh, it, it's almost like a necessary pilgrimage, I think.
1: <laughs> so for people that want to get into electronic music, um, what would you mm-hmm. recommend, like, as a starting point? What guy, like, mm-hmm. what, what specific, like, cds bands yeah like what got you and i mean you mentioned craft work oh yeah
0: you know i mean you can never it's very easy to not start at the beginning (laughs) and there's so much of it this is the other thing i mean there is tons and tons of electronic music out there so it's it's very hard to to pick a good place to start um Craftwork, absolutely essential listening. Uh, if, uh, they've got a number of incredible albums, uh, Computer World being, uh, just uh, a wonderful one. And I definitely, definitely encourage that album to anybody who's just getting into electronic music. It doesn't tell you about modern electronic music, but it shows you, uh, you know, where the influences started up. And this is the stuff that, you know, um, There would be no hip hop without computer world. There would be no electronic music without computer world. Um, it influenced, there would be a lot of the pop music that's around now wouldn't exist without that album. Uh, so that's a great starting point. Um, you know, an album that influenced me a lot in kind of that breakbeat and big beat sound that I'm, I really like uh, was, uh, Fatboy Slim's Better Living Through Chemistry. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And that, that album, it, you know, showcases uh you know the sampling arts that come straight out of hip hop style production uh the synthesis arts that come out of you know the more traditional kind of techno and just this um uh, this uh, incredibly funky approach to that music and um that album did real well. Uh, and they, uh, that they was actually huge
1: when I was yeah. in college.
0: Oh yeah. and they released a, um, uh like a remastered new version of it a couple of years ago that has bonus tracks on it and all kinds of stuff. Uh, definitely worth picking up. Um, if you're interested in uh, that older techno, you know, that more original, uh, that, that same album that I picked up first, it's part of a, a four CD series that's called the best of techno uh, on profile records, which is interesting because profile records is a hip hop label. Mm. Um, but they put out this collection that was called the best of techno. Um, and you can find it digitally out there. I've, I've dug around. That's still out there. It's a, it's a really good compilation series. Um, if you want to hear what those early days, we're talking like, you know, the 1992, 1993 kind of sounds, um, what that stuff sounded like. Nowadays, Boy, you know, you can go, I mean, websites like Beatport, uh, you know, and other kind of places can give you charts that'll show you what's tops in different lists, uh, you know, in different subgenres, um, and can, uh, help you get into downloads of things that, uh, you'll just find incredible. Um, radio shows like Writers of the Plastic Groove, um, are good places to listen. Uh, there's, um, a really great guy from England, uh, named Jay Cunning. Who does a radio show, an internet-based uh, Facebook live show, uh, on, uh, Tuesdays now. It used to be on Fridays. Um, but he works with a group called the On the Rise DJ Academy. And, uh, he plays some great old school stuff that's a lot of fun. Um, there's, uh, a, a really good internet-based uh, uh, radio station called Bass Drive. That, of course, uh, when you're not listening to, uh, Radio Brendo.
1: Mm-hmm. You should
0: be listening to bass drive. And, uh, you know, there, you're gonna hear a lot of drum and bass and all that kind of stuff. Uh, all your drum and bass and jungle needs are gonna be on there. Um, and I listen to a lot of, uh, other stuff, you know, dub lab and other kinds of places, uh, that it's stuff that is probably more considered, you know, when you're drawing the lines, probably more considered hip hop than considered electronica these days. But, uh really has that same kind of old school breakbeat feel and things that that uh that I was into you know when I was uh, out teaching more in the day but there's a there's a lot of lot of ways out there to get exposed to the music right now and uh i I highly encourage folks to dig in because if you know if you find one or two tracks that you like with the way that the internet now is with the way that you know uh access to information is. It's not like it's not like it was in 1995 where you know you might hear this one track and you walk into the record store going, "Hey, do you have that one that goes like <laughs> you know and you're like and the guy behind the counter is like, "You're nuts." You know. <laughs> Nowadays you can, you know, use Shazam or something to get a snippet of a track, find out what it is, dig into the internet, you find that artist, um you find out what artists they like, you splinter off from there and pretty soon you've got a huge palette of music available to you. You know, it's really, uh, it's incredible how easy it is to get into the music these days.
1: So does it, it seems like nowadays, um, I don't know if this is because of the equipment going digital and being easier. It seems like everybody's a DJ. Does that ever bother you?
0: It definitely doesn't bother me, Um, but it's true. Everybody's a DJ these days. (laughs) Um, But the thing that I would say, you know, anybody, especially, you know, there's software that'll beat match tracks for you. It'll even do the transitions for you, things like this. Um, And so it it can seem like the DJ thing is not – like it, like it doesn't take a lot of effort. Yeah. You know, it, it can kind of undermine some of that parts of it. And you know, those tools and everything, they're fine. There's nothing wrong with them. They're fun. They're there for entertainment. Um, but I would say if you are looking to be a DJ, yeah. the, uh, there's, there's kind of two, two things to being a DJ. I think, um, if we're talking like a performance DJ, uh, you know, somebody who's getting up at nightclubs or parties or that kind of thing. Um, one style, I would say, of DJing is the DJ who is trying to, um, kind of manage the party, more or less. And this DJ has gotta have a, a lot of music available to him, uh, and I say him, but it could be him or her. Uh, they have to have a lot of uh, music available to them at any point in time, and they've got to be able to successfully read the crowd. And that is a very challenging thing because the dance floor is a fickle place. (laughs) Um, and you know, you can have for three and a half minutes, people just grooving and grooving and you can put on another track that is very similar to that track and have everybody walk off the dance floor and have nobody there for you. Um, and so you've got to be able to read that vibe, keep the party going and select tracks that are going to keep that crowd engaged and interested. And, uh, there's there's the only way to be able to do that is you have to be listening to music constantly. Uh, you have to be listening to all kinds of different genres of music, you know, uh, again, be it trance, house breaks, you know, drum and bass, hip hop, whatever you're going to listen to. You've got to keep it all coming in so that you know, literally on a second's notice, oh, I've got to switch the mood on the floor. Here's the right track to put on and keep that going. The other style, I would say, of party DJing is the DJ who is more of the artist, uh, the DJ who is trying to uh, make some kind of a statement with their set. Mm-hmm. Um, and that statement could be as simple as, uh, here's the best music that I was able to find this week. You know, because essentially, when you really get down to it, the DJ is a master consumer. Right. Because, I mean, nobody's going to sit down and be able to listen to 10,000 hours of music every week, you know, but the DJ, their real core job is to be saying, OK, out of that 10,000 hours of music, here's the 60 minutes for my set that represents the best of that music, you know, that and I'm going to play the best of that music for you. Um So the DJ who is the artist, that could be one approach. To the artist kind of DJ, there could be some other kind of theme to their set that they're trying to bring through, you know, featuring a certain uh, style of music or a certain kind of musical trend, or maybe they're trying to feature some certain particular artist or whatever. And those kind of DJs tend to pre-program their sets. They decide what songs are going to go in what order, how long it's going to go, that kind of thing. And that carries another significant amount of responsibility in terms of listening, because those DJs have to say, OK, I know what my statement is. And now I've got to find the tracks that not only make that statement, but that fit together well and make that uh, that set cohesive for the audience. Um, so DJs that move down one of those two paths and put in the work of paying attention to their music, they're going to be the most successful. You know, and those are the folks that are going to uh, really be, you know, the quote unquote DJs, you know, rather than yeah. folks that are just putting on some tunes for everybody to groove to. Not that there's anything wrong with just putting on some tunes for everybody to groove to. But I think that's kind of what separates kind of the echelon. You know what I mean?
1: Gotcha. All right. That sounds that's 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 a good marker, <laughs> I think. Um, all right. Well, you mentioned um, you've mentioned hip hop. Because it's you can't you can't mention you can't talk about DJing and all that without it, but are exactly. you a hip hop fan at all?
0: I definitely am, yeah. I mean the from from the seventies up into the nineties, you know, uh really uh i I love the early days of hip hop. Uh I I uh big fan of the uh uh you know, Grandmaster Flash, Grandmaster Melly Mel, you know, Furious Five, uh uh African Babata, Soul Sonic Force, you know, uh um just all, all of that kind of thing coming up in the early days. Love all of it. Uh, moving into the 80s, you know, Run DMC, Beastie Boys, uh, all that kind of stuff. Just amazing. And, you know, again, the, I say Beastie Boys. It, talking about that um, DJ and production. End yeah. of things, right? You know, a lot of people know the first Beastie Boys album, License Deal, It's got, you know, Paul Revere and Girls and all that stuff then on it. Then you got Paul's Boutique. Then you got Paul's Boutique, exactly. Which the beats on that album are all done by the Dust Brothers and just represents a seminal point in sam- sample-based music production. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's just incredible. There are websites now that you can go to and anybody who is not, I, I know I, I don't like to promote like any particular thing or whatever when I'm doing interviews or whatnot, but this is for real. If you've never heard Paul's Boutique, go buy yourself a copy of Paul's Boutique and sit down and listen to it end to end. Just start at the beginning, listen to it all the way to the end. And it, cause it's incredible. It's like, it, it's like a Beatles album like that where you like, you just got to listen to it all the way through and you get so much out of it. But, uh, there are websites now that have broken all of the samples apart out of that album and made collections of here's all the original tracks that those samples come from. And, you know, there it's playlists of, you know, I don't know, 130, 150 songs that make up all the samples that make all the beats on Paul's boutique. And, uh, you know, nowadays with uh, uh and actually shortly after that album, with the way that the legalities came down on sampling and stuff, there's just, there's no way to produce an album like yeah, that again. It's
1: never gonna happen again. Right,
0: never. But um it it the same production techniques that go into that go into the way that electronic music is produced, you know, and uh, gotcha. the um the bridge between you know, hip hop and uh DJing and production and hip hop and electronica and that kind of stuff really there's a lot of crossover right there on that Paul's boutique album. Uh, but yeah, love that. Uh, of course love, uh, you know, a lot of the gangster rap stuff, NWA, Cypress Hill, you know, uh, again, because of the beat production, you know, uh, that early Dr. Dre, uh, production style is, it set the groundwork for so much. It is just incredible. And again, uh, you know, it's funny, you get a little bit of this if you've watched the uh, Straight Outta Compton movie. Yeah. you They they touch on this without kind of beating you over the head with it, but those guys who were in NWA were not gangsters. They were nerds that lived in LA <laughs> that were into music yeah. and were got into hip-hop. The only one of them that really was somewhat gangsterish was easy E who was doing, you know, small time kind of drug sales and stuff. But they, Dr. Dre, much like how, you know, I say, look at when you look at grandmaster flash, he was, you know, geeking out over the music and developing, you know, new stuff. Dr. Dre was geeking out over music and developing new stuff. And that's the kind of, it, it, like you have to have that geeky personality, I think to get yeah. into that innovative end, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and what's interesting with N.W.A. is what they did is they developed characters that went along with the music that they were producing, you know, and so they sold the characters as much as they sold the music. Uh But interestingly, I often equate this. It's, it's in my mind a lot like, uh, there was that TV show in the 70s, All in the Family, mm-hmm. that, uh, was produced with a main character. His name was Archie Bunker, who is like this real bigoted racist character. And the point of the show was to try to show this bigoted racist character as a buffoon yeah. and to show the audience how stupid it is to be bigoted and racist. And instead what happened is you had a lot of the audience that felt endearingly toward Archie Bunker, and because he represented, you know, some kind of, you know, ideal, that twisted ideal that they had. N.W.A. presented these characters of these gangsters, you know, and talk about all this terrible stuff in their tracks and stuff. But, you know, the bottom line is Eazy-E and Ice Cube never robbed a bank. you know, even though they rap about it, you know, but, um, you know, none of this stuff that's in the songs happened. It's, it's this fanciful parody of this gangster life that they saw developing Mm -hmm. in their communities that, that they thought, obviously what's going out of control, you know what I mean? Nobody can, that's not a sustainable lifestyle, you know, if you're going out gangstering around. Um, but when they produce these tracks though, the audience then said, "Oh, this is a celebration of gangsterism." Yeah. Instead of saying, "No, they're trying to say, open your eyes and see that this is not the way to go," yeah. you know. And uh, it's funny because there's a there's this weird kind of thing around NWA, and you even to to this day you see that kind of dichotomous thought to it. There's. A lot of people who are like, oh, no, I really don't like NWA because I don't like what they represented and what they're saying in their tracks and stuff. It's, you know, bad for society. And then you've got other people that say, uh, no, they're trying to draw attention to social ills and struggles. Shine the light. Right. And they've got this funky production, you know, that is just amazing to listen to, you know. So, yeah, NWA is interesting. I could talk about NWA for an afternoon but uh you know that's great uh you know Cypress Hill uh DJ Mugs and you know the kind of stuff that they produced uh following along that same trend that Dre starts uh just incredible production and then who comes back right in that same period of time who rises back up is LL Cool J yeah right with more of that funky production and then bringing the the gravitas of being one of the originators you know and coming back into the scene so um I don't know, something dropped off somewhere as we got into the 2000s and something changed a little bit in hip hop. Um, and so it's not, the later stuff is not as compelling to me, though there are still some incredible artists. I mean, uh, you're listening to Childish Gambino and, you know, um, uh, there's a number of other underground folks that are, are yeah. still doing incredible stuff out there that, you know, really a lot of fun to listen to. So
1: I've gotten yeah. really into hip hop lately. So I always like, Talking to people about it.
0: Nice. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it was something
1: I, it's something that I didn't just outright ignore, but I definitely yeah. kind of was whatever about it, but right. lately I've gotten really into it and I, there's a whole lot there.
0: Nice, nice. You know, there's yeah. a lot
1: there. There's a lot to it mm-hmm. that people kind of overlook, or yeah. like you said, like they just think, oh, this is bad because of the things they talk about.
0: Right, right. And
1: so I've gotten way into it. Yeah. And also as an electronic and Fan, you see like all the production that's involved in like, and like, and making the beats and and the the tracks and like you said now, it's not as sample based as it was because the RIA put that to (laughs) put a killing on that,
0: but
1: there's still ways that people manage to make music that always amaze me.
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: um, some of the new style of tracks that are coming yeah. out there, I'm just like, what is this stuff?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's incredible. You know, one of the um, one of the things that uh, I think a lot of, because well, it's the exact same tools basically to make hip hop and to yeah. make electronic music, right? So the producers, you find a lot of fluidity in the producers uh, that are kind of behind the scenes making the beats on this stuff. And one of the things that has gotten very big is um, the making of what they call sample packs. Yeah. And so this is where a producer will sit down with, you know, their drum machines, their synthesizers, whatever, and they'll make a bunch of drum beats, a bunch of bass lines, a bunch of little synth lines and stuff. So, like, the stuff that I'm talking about that I use when I'm doing my performance thing. Yeah. But then they'll group that together into a uh, collection of, you know, here's 10 drum beats, here's 10 bass lines, 10 synth lines, you know, this kind of stuff. And they put that out for sale. Yeah. And so then other producers can pick that stuff up. And so rather than having to sample, uh, illegally sample a record that's been put out, right? They can pay a small licensing fee to buy this sample pack that now they can use legally and make sample based music out of this kind of thing.
1: And also the sampling world is still there in the world yeah. of mixtapes and all that. So it's nice that that's Absolutely. still going
0: on. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, that's th- like
1: the mixtape world as a whole, like, well, wow, it's yeah. still
0: people do whatever they want. Exactly. Exactly. That's, you know, once people started using what really what happened is that once samplers got enough RAM yeah. to be able to hold a phrase and not yeah. just a sound, uh, that, that uncorked a genie's bottle that will never be closed again. You know,
1: and I, mean, I I got really into, like, and this is now, man, that was a long time, 10, to, to, 10 years ago, yeah. more than 10 years ago, but Girl Talk uh-huh, uh-huh. really blew that open, and oh, Danger yeah. Mouse. Yep, yep. With mm-hmm. I mean, the thing that got me super into hip-hop was Danger Mouse's, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Grey album. Yes, yes. Where he took the White
0: album and he took... Yeah, he, Prince's Black album. Took the Black album. Them together, yeah.
1: And, um, and, and, uh... And, and so some of those tracks, I'm not even, I'm, I, I'll listen to some, some of the, um, songs and, and that Hove does. And I, yeah. and I'm like, I don't, oh, this is from the, like, I don't know the original track, but I know right? the Grey Album track.
0: Yeah. 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 Like,
1: and, and in fact, one of the, um, one of the, one of those tracks was the intro to Radio Bruno Man for a while. I was nice. being all. Rebel myself. Nice. <laughs> Never got any season assists.
0: But that's awesome. Um.
1: Yeah. I, I, I. So I got super into that. But it's cool talking to people about music and how they. Yeah. Um. But now let's talk about just some of the stuff you're into right now. What sure. are, I like talking to people. What are you? What are you watching? What are you right, listening right. to? What are you? What are you into right now?
0: Definitely. You know. So. Um. In terms of like music stuff. Really what's been getting me uh excited these days has been, and it's always been fun, but now it's a little bit easier, so I really like it. I, I'm what they call a sample hunter. Yeah. So I love listening to a track saying, okay, where did that bass line come from? Where did that drum beat come from? And uh, there's one particular website that I will give away my secret here <laughs> um, that I love that's called com. And you can go into sample.com and try type in a track or a particular artist or something, and you can search either way. You could either say, okay, what samples made up this track, or you could put in like an, a track and say, okay, what tracks have sampled this track?
1: Yeah. Oh, that's and cool.
0: Yeah, that's a lot of fun. So I do a lot of Man, sample the internet
1: digging. internet has made a lot of stuff awesome.
0: Yeah, it really has. So, you know, I do I, – I listen to a lot of that. Um uh, There are a few artists that I listen to these days – uh, there's a band that has kind of reformed now and they're going out on tour somewhere, uh, that's from LA that's called the Breakestra. And, uh, the Breakestra is like Breakbeat Orchestra, right? It's the Breakestra. Gotcha. And, uh, what these guys are led by, uh, bass player, very talented bass player named Music Man Miles. Um, the band started off, uh, as hip hop fans. Who like, who were sample hunters as well. And, uh, were, uh, a few of the guys were DJs. And then they said, well, you know, we know how to play instruments. We could play these samples. And so they started learning how to play them. And then they said, wait a minute. If we strung these samples together as we play them, we could make a whole performance set out of this that we could take out and play. And uh, so they used to tour around L.A. playing these, you know, hour, hour and a half sets. That were just incredibly intensive and you would recognize, you know, the snippets that you're hearing. Um, but they'd be putting it together in a whole new way. And it was like, um, it was like the re-evolution of the 1970s DJ sets, you know, so where those 70s DJs were spinning the original break beats into sets between two turntables to create a continuous mix loop, the, this band was playing those musical snippets in a continuous loop, you know, uh, to make a big set. And, uh, they went away for a little while, but they came back. Uh, I saw them at a festival not too long ago and they're sounding good. And I, I'm really hopeful that we'll hear more out of them. Um, uh, there's, I mean, there's a million people performing electronically these days, uh, that are really interesting, but, uh, I actually just bought tickets the other night, uh, to see a guy named Sean Wasabi, who's going to be playing in L.A. in early December. And Sean Wasabi is a what they call a controllerist. So he was actually – there's a company named DJ Tech Tools that makes these um, little boxes that they call the MIDI Fighter. Mm-hmm. And it's a box with a grid of four by four of arcade buttons. And you can assign samples and whatever to those buttons and click on them to make music. Sean Wasabi was the first person that received what they called the MIDI fighter 64. And so it was like four of these MIDI fighters together. So in a big grid of 64 buttons yeah. and Sean's got videos on the internet and stuff of him playing. It's, uh, intense watching the way that he performs because he knows what sounds are where on all those buttons, but you don't. And watching his fingers go across, it's like magic. It's a lot of fun. Uh, mad Zach is another guy who, uh, does the con- kind of controllerism stuff. Jer- Jeremy Ellis uh, does an amount of controllerism. Incredible guy. like him a lot. So, you know, music's still all around the place. You know, uh, uh, I'm having a lot of fun uh, following the guys that are performing more and trying to push the envelope a little bit more, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Cool. Uh, I watch all the, uh, the superhero shows on TV. You know. Are you into
1: the Warner Brothers ones? I'm into I've the I've never, been, never been able to get into yeah. those. But I know they do a lot of crossovers now and all yeah. that stuff and, yeah. and also Kevin Smith works on Supergirl now. Right, and right. A lot of, yep. and, I, and I know you're a Kevin Smith fan. I
0: am. I definitely am. Yeah. Listen to Fat so Man on Batman? Definitely listen to Fat Man on Batman and, uh, uh, Jay and Silent Bob Get Old. You know. <laughs> like to listen nice. to those. Yeah,
1: but I, I <laughs> I want to get into, I, I, I started watching The Flash, and uh-huh, I, uh-huh. I, I liked it, but I I yeah. I like the idea of all that. I just don't have the yeah. time. Right. To
0: just, <laughs> yeah, it's cool. a bit of an investment. Uh, it You know, it started off with Arrow, which was yeah. a, a little dark and brooding in its first couple of seasons. It was kind of like, well, you know, really? And then all of a sudden they spun off Flash, which was more... Kind of fun, you know, and yeah. a little bit more lighthearted. Still has some pretty deep storylines, but it uh, does really good. Grant Gustin, the guy who plays Flash, is... When I first saw him, I was like, well, he doesn't look like the Flash in the comics, you know. But yeah. I don't know. Let's see. But he really brings something neat to the character. He does a really good job. And then uh Legends of Tomorrow is like... Legends of Tomorrow is like... uh um, the self-reflexive joke of the Berlantiverse, because it, it takes itself seriously enough to have the storylines move forward, yeah. but it's constantly like making self-referential jokes along the way, and like joking about kind of superhero pop culture stuff in general. Like, uh, Brandon Routh, who plays, yeah. uh, who played Superman and Superman Returns, right? I met
1: him on the IMDb boat.
0: Nice, nice. He seems so cool. I've never He's met a cool him. Cool guy. Well, he's in Legends of Tomorrow yeah. playing the Atom, right? And in one of the episodes, they have a crossover with uh, the Supergirl show. And when he meets Supergirl, uh, she winds up leaving. And he goes, oh, she reminds me of my cousin. <laughs> you know, where, of course, in the comics, Supergirl is Superman's cousin, yeah. right? <laughs> and so there's all kinds of dumb jokes like that in there. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Black Lightning was really good. I, I'm still not quite through with the first season, uh, but really like that one. Uh, the Netflix Marvel shows, I, I love them. I'm one yeah, of the those few people. Really I, I unashamedly like Iron Fist. I
1: love Iron Fist. I know people like hate it, but yeah. I love Kung Fu and I love totally. like hip hop
0: and there was a lot of Kung Fu and hip hop. And- exactly, exactly. I'm like, okay, a lot of people were like, well, the Kung Fu in the first season of Iron Fist, it looked real cheesy and stuff and blah, blah. I'm like, have you never watched Shaw Brothers Kung Fu movies? Yeah, like, like
1: what, the, what do you, what you know, your reference Right. For Kung Fu?
0: <laughs> it's like, if all you've ever seen is The Matrix, okay, maybe it didn't look like The Matrix, but the, like, the pacing, the flow, of the show the whole bit it was like watching a multi-episode Shaw Brothers yeah and plenty of hip-hop it was really fun uh, I thought season two was fun. You know, they tuned, toned down a couple of things, but I, I think they tightened it up a lot. It's uh, I'm I like it was super good.
1: behind on my Marvel Netflix. Yeah. like I because <laughs> they 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 started really like yes. releasing a lot of, like yeah. the pacing now, and I'm like I'm <laughs> way behind.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it it's a lot to digest. I watched
1: Defenders, and then I'm yeah. now I'm behind on everything else. Like, <laughs> and now Daredevil season right? three is coming. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's in just another week or yeah. two. Yeah. So, yeah, that's so been that's good. next Friday. Yeah. And did I you uh, Daredevil. have you watched uh Luke Cage?
1: Yeah, I watched the first season. Yeah.
0: For second season of Luke Cage is just as good.
1: And I love it's the really soundtrack.
0: Good. Again, the soundtrack is amazing. And it was yeah. cool like the cameos in the actual show. Totally. Totally. They keep up with all of that. And then where the uh, in the first season, all the episodes are named after Gangstar tracks. Yeah. In the second season, all the episodes are named after Eric B. and Rakim tracks. Oh, nice. Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm getting really into them. I'm yeah. getting into a lot of, like, 90s mm-hmm. and... And later hip hop that I missed. Nice, nice. That I was, cause I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, yeah. Um, cause the only band, the only hip hop I really listened to in the 90s was Tribe.
0: Okay, okay. I, yeah. And I that, be
1: only because I the bought topic. their CD by accident. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice, and then I got nice. really into it. And yeah, I was yeah. like, this is
1: cool, but I didn't know enough and the internet wasn't a, right. as big of a, there wasn't enough
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. On yeah. the internet, so I, mm-hmm. I,
1: I didn't know, I couldn't yeah. branch out really. Right, right. Oh, and I, I had a friend who, my brother and his friends were super into Wu-Tang Clan. Okay, and So they okay. got, yeah. they actually had a, they had a parody band called mm-hmm. the Orange Tang Clan. Nice. And all nice. the songs were about Orange Juice and Orange Tang and they That's were all- That's hilarious. These, and at the time, I, I- I wish we had some of that because like yeah, that's just, like that's so it's it's it, it was really cool, but like it's all gone.
0: Oh man, that would be awesome. Um,
1: but at at the time, and nobody these are a bunch of white kids, right? Doing this. Right.
0: Oh, that's, that's kind of that's.
1: I grew up. I grew up like hip hop was huge because I right. grew up in suburbia where uh-huh. hip hop and my brother was super into it. Okay, but I just okay. I, I just never got into it super, like, gotcha. I remember, I, I mean, when the Chronic came out, of course, right, everybody was right. but like, that, yeah. but that was kind of like, I grew up in mm-hmm. the white bread that was right, super, that right. everybody was super into hip hop. And I remember sure. when, I remember when like, bad boy was happening, uh-huh. but I just wasn't into it. I'm like, no, I'm a right, rock right. guy, rock and roll forever. Yeah, yeah. So there was also that.
0: Right, right.
1: But now, mm-hmm. like you said, like, hip-hop's kind of in everything now yeah
0: yeah yeah so
1: you can't i it kind of got too big for me to ignore yes
0: definitely definitely yeah no that's fun that's really cool
1: so what about um do you play video games you know, I we wish that X-Ring. I had
0: time. Yeah, you know, I love video games. I love games. I've, I've got an Xbox 360. Okay. I've not gone beyond that. Okay, yeah. Um, cause I just, uh, I don't have time these yeah, days. Yeah, me too. You know?
1: I wish I had more time to play video games. Yeah. I have a PS4 and everything, but oh, I- Oh man, yeah. And my, I had a, I, my gaming PC kinda died on mm-hmm. me. Mhm. But I, yeah. I was like super into it and I- and now they only have time to play like i have some wrestling games that i play nice. and
0: nice but
1: you, you were, you were, you were, you were you, in a fighting game? You were into fighting? I, games?
0: I like fighting games. I definitely, you know, Mortal you know, you Kombat. Mortal Kombat. It? Yeah, that's, that's my, that's my jam, you know? <laughs> um but I definitely like that. I definitely like, uh, uh, flying simulators. So, you okay. know, X-Wing, Fighter, you know, goes X-Wing. in there, TIE Fighter X-Wing, you know, and, uh, some of the more modern games that have, you know, flying aspects. I really like those a lot. I'm surprised
1: they haven't come out with a new Star Wars flying game.
0: I know, me too. Like, yeah, I
1: feel like they're kind of missing the ball there. Where they come out mm-hmm. with all these Star Wars games, and they have not right. no new... Like, where is the new X-Wing? Where yep. is the new Rebel Assault? Where exactly. is the new all those games? Because yep. those games... Like, yeah. I knew people that weren't into Star Wars, but they were into TIE Fighter just because it was yep. such a great flight simulator.
0: Totally, totally. And I think it was... I might be wrong, but I think it was Oculus that when... Um, uh, Rogue One came out. Yeah. They put out a a small uh X Wing game oh, yeah. that was a VR game. Oh, that'd be cool. And so it it was uh I don't have an Oculus but I, I watched a, a preview awesome, video of it. I can think about it. And yeah, so you're you're sitting in it and you can look all around, and you see the full cockpit, you look behind you, you see the R two unit back there. Nice. And uh, you know, you're flying around, you know, fighting TIE fighters and stuff. And so I'm I'm really I'm kind of biding my time. Looking for us to get into the second generation of VR.
1: Yeah, because yeah. I think I've I've gotten to do it, and yeah. it is amazing, but it's so expensive, right? Right, and it's so hardware intensive, right? <laughs> that yep. you're gonna you're spending a lot of money, but if yeah, you, if you can, but like I I I got to I because I, I I've always been just dismissive of VR just because it's always been something they've been teasing us with pretty much my whole life right right so it's like whatever it's gimmicky right yeah but when I finally got into it and like Right. You're in it. You yes. I'm like god yes. you're in. You I'm inside a game and I'm not just right. it's not a gimmick and I'm actually like yep. <laughs> it was the coolest thing I've ever felt.
0: Yeah. Totally. And I'm like totally. I could live in here. <laughs> I know it's true. So, you know, in the I was I was thinking maybe about 2 months ago about just biting the bullet and building myself, you know, a high-end hardware VR rig. Yeah. And the folks that I was talking to all told me, "No, wait. Because we're just about to cross over that line into the next phase of it that's going to have um, AR, augmented reality, is going to be the big thing. And you're already starting to see that with the stuff they've got on tablets and phones and stuff. Yeah,
1: AR is becoming a much bigger thing. Oh, yeah.
0: And, I mean, I'm looking forward to when... Black There's, Mirror
1: though oh, shows like yeah. all the downfall. Right, <laughs> As the Black Mirror I think is spot on about the AR. The I AR think, yes. stuff in Black Mirror is very scary. <laughs> it is. Terrifying. It
0: definitely is. It definitely is. But I'm looking forward to when I can have like, uh you know, an RC car game. You know, where with my goggles on, the RC cars are driving around the house, and you know, I can avoid the obstacles. And, yeah. You know, or you know. Uh, 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 you know, World War One flying ace, you know, biplane, uh, RC you know, game that's on AR so that, you know, I've got planes flying around the house and, you know, we're dogfighting fighting in the living room and stuff. And, you know, of course, the natural extension of that is then X-Wings and TIE fighters and <laughs> everything else too. So. Awesome. And, and I mean, the, the real dream, of course, is to someday have the full VR, uh, Star Trek environment. You know, they've got the bridge commander, uh, game going now um that's uh very tempting i've been tempted a number of times to pick up a new playstation just to play that game uh but uh you know someday i'll get to command my own starship we'll see
2: are getting there.
1: I mean, even the rides themselves are getting, I mean, yeah, Star Wars more Land. Right, yeah. Star Wars Land, I'm getting very excited about that. Some Me of the too. things I've been hearing about where it's more experience-based and yeah. there's going to be more to it than just you're getting on a ride and you're right. passive- and, uh, yep. and then just getting in that cockpit in Millennium Falcon. Yeah. I mean, that's everybody's dream, no right? No kidding. No kidding. And the fact that they're finally giving it to us. Yeah,
0: that's going to be awesome.
1: I just <laughs> hope it doesn't cost the arm or leg. <laughs> I know. I, I know.
0: <laughs> a couple of years ago, I got myself one of those, uh, credit cards that earns, uh, uh, Disneyland points. Yeah. And I put all of my, uh, all of my bills and everything onto that card and I just pay it off monthly. So I've earned up enough points now that I've got enough points to buy an annual pass. Oh, nice. So I'm just sitting here waiting for Star Wars land, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm going to cash that in.
1: (laughs) Nice. All right. Well, Noah, it's been really great talking to you. Um, Where can people find you online if they want to listen to your stuff or they want to just check out? Yeah.
0: Definitely. My, my main site, uh, my, my record label and my, my production house is abduction productions. So you can go to abductionproductions.com Uh, you can also go to uncle Noah.com. Uh, and both of those, uh, are, uh, my sites and there's a fair amount of content on both right now, but I'm going to have more in the near future. Yeah, so stay
1: uh, tuned for that new album.
0: Stay tuned for that new album. Yeah, that's coming up. And you know what? Uh if you don't mind, uh I've got another album that's coming up that I'd kind of like to tell folks yeah, about. Yeah, go ahead. Um I mentioned a uh a performance act called SkyLab 2000 uh that was they were a big act here in Southern California in the uh, electronic music underground run by a guy named Dennis Barton and uh completely live electronic music performance uh and Dennis uh played all around uh, here all around the US all around the world and uh his style of music uh featured you know real big thick drums and very uh obtrusive kind of that was the sound very obtrusive kind of bass uh and synth sounds coming into it that just drove the songs forward with an incredible energy um and uh really the the sound that he created uh laid the backbone for a lot of other sounds like uh i i like to i like to say that you know a lot of the music that you hear like on the soundtrack for the matrix and stuff like that mm. um comes from the the kind of kernels of sound that uh Dennis used to make uh unfortunately we lost Dennis a couple of years ago uh mm. and it was just very uh unexpected and uh, just very unfortunate uh but uh, we've brought together a group of a number of artists, uh, a number of electronic artists that have not had anything out in quite a while, too, that were very popular at the time, um, including folks like Simply Jeff, uh, um, Electric Sky Church, Cirrus, uh, a number of other producers, and we're putting out an album that's a tribute to Skylab 2000. Nice. Uh, so, uh, the different artists have selected Skylab 2000 tracks that were meaningful to them, and have recreated these tracks in their own style. So
2: when is um, this coming
0: out? So right now we're we're just rounding out the production cycle. I'm hoping that I can have this album out by next February. Nice. So by February uh, twenty nineteen, uh we should have that out. So uh I would love it if folks, you know, keep your eye on Uncle dot abductionproductions.com. I'll have a lot more information about that Skylab two thousand tribute coming up. But that's that's a big one that we've been working on that we've put a lot of heart into. Very and cool. uh, so we're really looking forward to getting that Very out to cool. you.
1: Awesome. Well, Noah, thank you so much. It's been great talking to you.
0: Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And uh, hey, be kind to that super producer of yours. You know? I will
1: try. <laughs> All right. That was uh, Noah Apodaca. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Once again, be sure to check out RadioBrendo.com for all the RadioBrendoMan Radio stuff. Um, check out our Amazon links there and uh, DreamHost discounts. And uh, be sure to check out UncleNoah.com and AbductionProductions.com for all the latest uh, Uncle Noah news. And um, when he's got those releases he talked about coming out and... Uh, that's gonna do it for this this episode of Radio Brendoman. Um, don't forget to check out all the other podcasts at BenViewNetwork.com and check out. Um, I think that's it. Check out check out all that stuff. I hope you have a great week and a great uh, time. Yeah. Well, for Radio Brando Man, I'm Brendan Creasy. Have a good one, everybody.
2: Wrestling? Well, I'm here to tell you about Massive Buds Wrestling Show. I'm Brendan Creasy, and you may know me from podcasts such as Radio Brendo Man, Popsicles, and mbws in its former names but we're still here and now we're massive buds wrestling show my friend keith gomez and i talk about the latest in wwe southern california indie wrestling and cannabis yeah that's right i said cannabis check us out massive buds wrestling show mbwspod.com or BenViewNetwork.com and of course on Apple Podcasts and all podcast services. This podcast is a part of the BenView Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenViewNetwork.com.